Hello, and welcome to Boston Private Perspectives. I'm Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private. As the calendar has now turned to August, we feel compelled to look forward to the fall. With the potential for a reacceleration in COVID cases, a highly charged campaign season, and the ripple effects of escalated Chinese tensions on the horizon, there is a lot to be concerned about. First, though, we face a near-term issue that as of now seems unlikely to be easily remedied. As we have outlined through several notes and in our earlier podcasts, the two forces of monetary stimulus and fiscal stimulus help to soften the economic blow of social distancing and shelter-at-home mandates in the second quarter. While the Fed gets much of the attention on Wall Street for their efforts, typically improvement after a recession is kickstarted by fiscal programs, and this was evident in the second quarter GDP print. With the economy contracting by almost 33% and consumption down by almost 35%, the boost from federal spending which rose by almost 18%, cannot be ignored. Much of this boost came from the implementation of the CARES Act, which provided cash payments to households and offered expanded unemployment benefits. In addition, the Payroll Protection Program created a mechanism for companies to avoid layoffs, even if their revenues were severely impacted. And with many of these loans likely to be forgiven, allows companies to restart business quickly upon reopening without additional liabilities to grapple with. So if the CARES Act provided such an important boost, why is Congress stalled now on passing another aid package? Clearly, we are not at the end of the COVID road. In fact, new hotspots have emerged, particularly in the Southeast and Southwest, as reopening and rising temperatures have led to increased spread of the virus. Even some previous hotspots like California are once again experiencing rapidly increasing case counts, and reopening has been ratcheted back. Jobless claims are rising once again, inflation remains subdued, and anecdotal evidence of more businesses poised to shutter their doors are reported daily. There have also been improvements in sentiment indexes like the ISM, in non-farm payrolls, and the unemployment rate, and in the housing market. We are now at a crossroads, and the dialogue in Washington reflects that. On the left, if you will, are the Democrats. They passed their version of an additional stimulus bill, the HEROES Act, over a month ago in the House of Representatives. Main points of their bill include state and local aid, a continuation of the $600 a week expanded unemployment benefit, money for testing and tracking, another tranche of PPP funds, extension of the eviction reprieve, and additional stimulus payments for individuals and families. The price tag on the package is a lofty $3 trillion, and this would be on top of a budget deficit already expected to be over $3 trillion for this year. Senate Republicans were a bit slower to act this time around. Taking cues from economic data released in May and June, it appeared that the accelerated reopenings in many states coupled with improved economic activity in hard-hit states like New York and New Jersey, would yield a V-shaped recovery in the economy, similar to what we've enjoyed in the equity markets since the March lows. As cases spiked up, however, 
the tone around the level of control U.S. policymakers had over the virus spread has changed. Republicans have been engaged over the last several weeks in putting together their own package, the HEALS Act. While the bill also contains funding for testing and tracking, as well as direct cash payments and eviction protections, it provides for only $200 a week in additional unemployment benefits, no meaningful state and local aid increases, and liability protections for schools and businesses who reopen and may have students, workers, or customers that trace their infection back to them. The price tag of the Republican proposal is much less as well, coming in at only $1 trillion. Kind of crazy to think that's a deal. Enter into the equation the White House, which wants to cap unemployment benefits at 70% of pre-COVID pay and add into the mix a payroll tax cut. While the cap on unemployment benefits might appeal to Senate Republicans, the means to do so at the state level requires a level of coordination that will require months, if not years, of work to achieve. And as for the payroll tax cut, the Republicans and Democrats are both basically just ignoring it because it benefits people who are employed and make more money. So not really something you'd want to put your name next to ahead of the November elections. At this point, expanded unemployment benefits and the eviction reprieve have expired. Congress heads for their recess in less than a week, and there is still a lot of ground to cover to get this necessary package done. The unemployment rate is likely still going to be double digits following this Friday's release, and a lot of low-wage workers have yet to figure out where they will be working, with hotels, restaurants, and other services businesses running at limited capacity in many places. The White House has stated that it will take whatever steps it can to move some of these initiatives forward, but most people are just asking the question, why? Because this is probably it until the election in November. This is the last opportunity for policymakers in Congress to try to achieve some level of credibility in what has admittedly been a disastrously handled national emergency. The first packages and the CARES Act were not all smooth sailing from a negotiation standpoint, but at least there was a sense that fiscal action would get done, and it did. This time around, the Democrats need to deliver state and local aid to their home states, many of which were decimated in the first few months of the pandemic. Republicans want to ensure that businesses are protected from lawsuits. Both parties want to support the unemployed, but the Republicans are pressured by the business community, which has stated that high payments for unemployment are a disincentive for low-wage workers to return to their jobs. And everyone wants to create a foundation for small businesses to survive and for further support to fight the virus. Politics, as usual, is often upended in times of crisis. But this election could be a turning point for the next eight years, and neither party really wants to be on the wrong side of history as it relates to helping the American working class in a time of need. What the long-term repercussions of this massive fiscal stimulus will be are hard to assess now, but in the near term, the money that has been injected into the economy has no doubt helped. But the next five to ten years could be challenging. Government revenues will need to increase, and that will require higher taxes or economic growth, the latter of which was only bumping along despite the massive corporate tax cut passed at the end of 2017. 
Raising corporate taxes may seem like an easy way to grow revenues, but doing so in a tenuous economic climate will be challenging. Our schools and healthcare system have proven to be inadequate to tackle what we've been through over the last several months, and the lack of any real coordinated childcare option for working families outside of the school walls has created a lot of questions on societal responsibility for the care of our children. And that infrastructure package? Well, most people supported that, and it hasn't come to fruition. But that is exactly the type of fiscal stimulus that represents the move from insulation to acceleration for the economy. So while it may seem like politics as usual has taken over the heroes versus heels debate on Capitol Hill, it is really setting the stage for an election that may feel anything but politics as usual. While we will have much more to say on this topic after the conventions, with earnings season ending and economic data potentially stagnating, Washington is quickly moving to the front burner of a very hot stove, and the markets might not quite be ready for it. Thanks again for listening to this week's podcast. I want to encourage all of you to reach out to our team here at Boston Private with any questions or concerns you may have. Providing guidance and support as a trusted advisor is our mission. If you have any questions or thoughts on my points today, you can find me on Twitter at Shannon Sakosha. You can also read our latest perspectives on the markets, the economy, taxes, estate planning, the election, and a variety of other topics by visiting bostonprivate.com. If you want all of this information delivered right to your inbox, I encourage you to sign up for our newsletters while you're on our website. Be sure to subscribe to the Boston Private Perspectives on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you prefer to listen. And I look forward to coming to you from my home studio next week. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.